Today, I want to address a topic that I think churches uh, um, have not always done well with. And, and, when I, and it's not just churches, it's our church, it's me. Um, I've had a difficult time knowing how to navigate this topic, and I haven't done well with it. But there are times when there are values that we want to embrace and we want to live out. And, and yet in our humanity and in the, the competing desires and the competing all that stuff that's in us, there are times when, when these values collide as we try and hold them equally well. Um, so let me express it to you like this. You know, when I say this, I think you understand where I'm going with it and all. Hate the sin. What do you say after that? Yeah. Okay. So is that really easy to do? No, it's just one of those things that we say because it conveys a concept that we wrestle with. There is nothing easy about that statement. Matter of fact, if you go on the web, you'll find a hundred different people who say it's absolutely wrong to say that statement. But you get the idea behind that. And that's that we, we cannot condone things that we do, and yet we cannot condemn people. Let's just say that up front. It is wrong for us to condemn people. Um, the... the the smack on the hand and the, um, the bad rap that we get as the church, the big church, you know, you know, that's what churches are all about. They want my money, you know. They're full of lists of things to do and things you can't do. They're all about controlling you. There's a long list of complaints about the church. And at any different level, some church is, is living out those complaints. I mean, you know, stereotypes are true because they're true someplace at some time, right? And so um, there's all kinds of things that are said about the local church that are true at some level or another. But today, the one thing that I want us to talk about and is, is how we look at each other and how we treat each other. And going back to what I said a moment ago, there's no room in here where we can condemn one another. That is wrong to do. There is room here to say that an activity is wrong or right. We do that all the time. We do that even about ourselves. I should have just ran that red light. Yeah, you're right. You know, we, we, it, it, there's nothing wrong with assessing our behavior and determining whether that behavior is right or wrong. Now, granted, if you want to get into the discussion about what determines right or wrong, that's a different discussion. But for our time here today... It's wrong to condemn a person. It's not wrong to say that a behavior is wrong. Matter of fact, um, you know, just to make sure that we're clear on this and all, it's that the only t- person who can condemn anybody is somebody who is in charge of justice, right? A cop doesn't condemn you. A cop says, Michael, you were speeding. You know what, Michael, I'm sorry, but you sit in the front row, you're going to get picked on if you want to move right now, I don't blame you. These people are used to it. You're probably not, all right? So this is the thing. The cop comes to you and he gives you a ticket. And he goes, you got to go talk to the judge about this. And then he's going to decide what to do. The cop just told him he thought he did was wrong. There's a judge, someone who's in charge of justice, who's now going to say, oh, they say you are going 50 miles over the speed limit. That's a little wrong. That's about 50 miles worth of wrong right here. Based on what you did wrong, I am judging that you owe the state 
$130 plus court and all these other things, right? And it adds up quick. The judge, the one who's in charge of justice, is the one who's able to condemn. And as we've talked about here before, that's in this corporal, that's like in this justice system of our state and of our nation. There's laws. When we break the laws, there's a judge who says, you broke the law and this is your punishment. Then in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, in a, in a you know, in this cosmic sense, the same thing is true. And the same thing is true. There is a, whether you want to, I mean, you know, there is someday going to be an accounting for our behavior and for our actions. But not only that, there's an accounting for what we believe about Jesus. And so there is a judge who controls justice. And this judge says, that these things are wrong. That is the only one who can condemn a person, and that's the judge who has ultimate supreme justice, who is the creator God, the one who reigns supreme, and the one that every man, woman, and child will one day face. That is the only person who can condemn. But in the context of our local churches, in the context of our families, parents, every day say, you didn't do this, you did do this, right? So here in the context of our local church, I can't say to anyone in here, I condemn you for this. The elders who lead our church cannot come forth and say, I condemn you for this. And if you're a part of any other kind of church organization, they might have some type of of organizational kind of control, but they can't really condemn you in a sense that is lasting and eternal, in a sense that really matters. But what happens is the church is always told that we we are judgmental and condemning. And let's just take that off the table right now and say that, that when we behave that way and we condemn each other, it is wrong, it's not in the Scripture, and we've, we've stepped side, outside the boundaries of what Scripture teaches us as churches to do. There is only one who can condemn, and that's, Jesus, and that's God the Creator. And if a man or a woman has never taken the opportunity to seriously examine the claims of Jesus Christ and never seriously considered their own sin or their own failings or their own brokenness, and that the fact that Jesus is the answer to that, it's something that we need to do. Because each and every one of us will one day stand before a judge who is supreme, being God. And that judge will say, what did you do with my son Jesus Christ? Because that son, that Jesus, came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. And so if a person has never placed their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they stand condemned, but not before anyone in this room, but before a supreme God. Paul wrote in in Romans, he says, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ. The way to escape that eternal condemnation is to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And that takes care of your sin problem. Now, but for what we're talking about here as a church this morning, 
We are talking about the way that we treat each other. There have been times in our relationships when relationships get really difficult, right? And how Christians behave with each other and how we're supposed to treat each other's Specifically, at this one time, when we are disobedient, when we are in sin. So this is the scenario. How am I supposed to treat someone in my church family here who is willingly stepped into sin? Who has willingly chosen to choose do something outside of what scripture teaches how am i supposed to approach them now the, this thought, this topic is incredibly large and complex and so one part of that is it's is that scripture teaches that there is a going to them and saying this is what i'm seeing in your life is this true do you need to change this based on what scripture says that is one part of it and we're not going to discuss that part of it today. We're going to discuss another part of it that I think is really what more of us do. And so when we're trying to figure out what do we do with someone that we know is, is in sin or that is, is behaving contrary to what Scripture says, what do we do with them? So there's a few scenarios. For instance, there's one scenario right here. We go, there's a few scenarios. Go and tell, go and ignore, or avoid. Those are the things that typically happen in local churches. The go and tell one, that one right there, that scenario, go ahead, forward for me, go and tell, go and tell, there we go. In the go and tell scenario, that one is the one where people go and say, that person is wrong, I need to go tell them that. I love people like that. You just wish your whole church was full of people like that. (laughs) Because we would all be sinless, or the building would be empty. In no time. This is what we call confronting sin. And that too often, we're, the problem is in this scenario is that we are not in relationship with the sinner. The problem is that, that apart from relationships, there's two missing ingredients. Who's doing PowerPoint for me? Who's watching me? All right, great. Two missing ingredients in this. They are love and a relationship. Without a relationship, communication is really, really murky. And it takes a relationship to convey love. A relationship is that conduit that only, it's the only way that love happens is in a relationship. So, for instance, you know, here we go. <laughs> You're going to regret this, too. So, I don't know him. I, I, you don't have to get up or anything. Just sit there and enjoy it, okay? All right. <laughs> I don't know him. And so, for me to walk up to him and say, hey, this is what I want you to know. Your shoes don't match. You've got two different shoes on. And you start telling him all the things that are wrong with him. He's going to go, who is this dude and why is he in my face? There's no relationship here. Wasn't that fun? You know what? But I can do that with her because we go back 25 years. And I can sit down and say, Mary, can we talk about something? I can step into her life, and she can step into mine because there's a relationship. 
And there is an absolute certainty about the love for one another. But what happens in this first scenario is that there is no, there is no relationship, and so therefore there's, not, there's a great deal of uncertainty about why this person is talking to me, especially about something that was, they're probably coming to me and say, you're doing this wrong. When you don't know a person and they're in your, and they're in your face and they're telling you that you're doing it wrong, you know, that's what it looks like. The natural reaction is, who is this person and why are they talking to me? And really, that you don't get any kind of, of response you're looking for from this person. The ultimate effect of the confrontation is bad feelings. The ultimate effect of this confrontation is negativity, is nothing, is bewilderment, is like, wow. Why did that just happen? And I don't want to go back into that relationship. And if that relationship's in this church, immediately it's like, I don't know if I want to go to that church. I'm going to ditch that. You guys can put that to a blank screen, okay? So, now what about the second scenario? Act like nothing happened. There is an impact in that because, for instance, it's like there's an elephant in the room, right? Right? When you act like nothing happened, you go in and you sit down and you, you know that something's going on, but you go in and you sit down and you're acting like nothing happened. Everyone at that table is thinking about something that we're not talking about. It's kind of like having to pray and hold hands. I'm not praying. I'm thinking about holding hands. You know what I mean? So you're, not, you're, you're thinking about something other than what's in front of you. And so when you know that there's sin in a relationship, you know there's something you ought to be talking about you're not talking about, you're sitting there thinking about what you're not talking about. And over the course of time, it becomes really uncomfortable the longer you do that. And over the course of time, it feels really unnatural. And none of us want to be in relationships with people when we're like going, I don't know what to say. I I, I don't know what to say. And that right there leads us to the third scenario, which is avoid. Because we don't know what to say, because we we hate the awkwardness, and because we hate the uncertainty of of being with this person, we just avoid. And this is the scenario that I think most of us are guilty of. And it's not because any of us are bad people. It's not because we are mean people or that we have ill intent. It's because we're kind of really, I think, at at the base of it, we're good people who wish we knew how to handle it. And we hate confrontation. We hate that awkwardness. So we just avoid. And let me just tell you, avoidance kills. Avoidance kills. Now, I can just tell you something. Rosanna has houseplants in our office. She kills them all. <laughs> None of them live through her experience. And what she does to plants is a perfect example of what we do to relationships. She does not know what to do with it, so she leaves it on his desk until it withers. And she goes, it's dead. We'll throw it away now. That's exactly what happens with relationships. It sits there in front of us. I don't know what to do with it. 
I don't know whether to say something or to not say something. And so I just sit and look at it while the relationship withers. And then it's dead. And we go, oh, they don't like me anymore. Wonder why. And you just go on. When we avoid relationships, they die. And I know that because I've killed too many of my own relationships. I know that because I am an avoider. Because I have relationships that I didn't know what to do with, and so I just didn't do anything. And they died. People don't know what to do with being avoided. I received a letter from a person who attended our church several, several years ago, and they had gone through a divorce of another person here in our church. They were married. They were here in our church. They went through a divorce, and it was no fault of their own. The person who was in our church was more or less the innocent party. And they eventually left, and they said they spoke about the downward glances as they passed people in the church who used to sit with them, or chat with them. Why did that happen? It happened because people didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. I had another situation where people just talk about, let's play like we don't notice them. Let's just act like we didn't notice them and go sit or get our seats. I have another person that shared with me that they sat alone for three years after this incident, after an incident in their life, while people didn't know what to do with them. And these are just two stories. There are many, many others that happen in churches all over the country, all over the world. I've been guilty of it. I'm sure that probably you've been guilty of it. And every time I've done it, I have hurt someone because of it. And that's why when we did Pastor Steve's elder installation, I specifically spoke to that point for him. The the natural tendency it is for us to avoid difficult situations and difficult relationships and and the way that that kills those relationships. And there are a couple of you in this room that I need to apologize for that. Avoidance kills things, and we don't want... To kill anything here at Crossing. You know, I said it last week, I believe. If I didn't, I should have. Um, that whatever God is doing in your life, He is doing in our church. And so, when we have someone in our church that has gone through something difficult and, and perhaps they've stepped into a time of sin and they're trying to figure their way out, and people are like, go, I don't know what to say to them. Well, what you're, what's happening there in your life and in your relationship to that person in our church, that's happening to our church. And so as each and every one of us figure this out, and as each and every one of us break through this and say, I don't know what to do here, but I'm just going to step out and try. That makes us a healthier church. That makes us more like Jesus. That makes us all grow together. And that's why when we talk about you are not a microcosm, 
The reason why Paul uses the illustration of a body and that no part of the body is separate from the rest of the party body is that when you avoid, it hurts all of us. But when you engage, it helps all of us because I'm sitting across the room as an avoider, like going, they're, they're talking. wonder what they're talking about. Is it okay to talk to them? Maybe I could do that. And maybe I'll even go and say, what'd you talk about? What'd you say to them? Because I don't know what to say to them. When we, when we stretch ourselves to try and learn how to be right, it helps others want to learn how to be right as well. You know, and, and, when we're, and, and the, the difficult thing is when we, you know, obviously all of us have stepped into some type of sin at some time or another and stayed there longer than we should have. There was a period um, many years ago when I went through a really bad spell and there was only a couple people who came to me and just said, are you okay? You know, have you worked this out between you and the Lord? And so every one of us have these times when we are not okay. And when we are called not to ever come to someone and say, you know what, everyone feels the way you do, it's okay. Everyone would have done what you did, it's okay. That's avoidance too. Do you get that? That's avoidance too. The reason why that's avoidance is because you're avoiding talking about the real issue at hand. You're avoiding talking about the real issue at hand. So it's not okay to go to someone and say, you know what, I understand. Everyone does it. Or I would have done the same thing. Or I don't blame you. I would have done that too. It's never okay for us to do that. And so it's not okay to walk up to someone and say, I understand. But you know what? What would it look like to walk up to someone? And what's really difficult is that when we are kind of in a a little bit of a distant relationship. We know them pretty good, but not great. What would it look like to come up to someone and just say, all right, and be honest about it. All right, um, look, this is really uncomfortable, and I know there's stuff going on, and I want you to know that I love you, and I want to pray for you. And then you pause and catch your breath and you wait for them to say something. What would it look like just to say that? Would it look like the person was being isolated? That person would probably say, thank you so much, I appreciate that. Because they might not want to talk about it. But the important thing is, the next time you see them, you don't have to look away. You don't have to look down. Because you look them in the eye and you express Christian love and the very best thing you could have done, you express your desire to pray for them. So the next time, you don't have to look away. The next time you can say, hi, I'm still praying for you. And you can keep on going. And that means the world to someone because they don't feel isolated. They don't feel alone. They don't feel condemned. There's a lot to be said for that. Now, I know after the service, someone's going to come up to me and say, yeah, but. I'm not talking about all the buts. I'm talking about this. 
I'm talking about just these casual interactions that create an environment in a church that either feels healthy or really weird. We want to be a healthy church. And we have these situations in our church right now. And that's why we're taking a break from Genesis, and that's why we're studying about the church. And so as we encounter these little situations, we don't become a church that says, I didn't know what to do, so I didn't do anything. And the person is like going, well, they totally ostracized me, so I'm just going to find someplace else. That's not the way we're supposed to be. That's not the intention of the church. The intention of the church is to be a family and to express this kind of love. Someone along the way, someone who's directly in their life, perhaps it's the elders, perhaps it's me, we'll probably be the ones who step in and say, let's talk the details about the sin, or let's talk the details about your situation. But even if you just walked up and said, I love you, I'm praying for you, and I'm going to keep it up, that says so much more than eyes that look down, eyes that look away, just a hello and a walk on, and that sense of isolation, and that sense of like, I, I, well, I didn't know that I had the scarlet letter on me, but obviously I do by the way I'm being treated. There is plenty of places we can look at in Scripture to kind of get a sense of this. If you want to track along with me, I'm going to be in some Scriptures, and the first one I'm going to look at is 1 Corinthians 13. So why don't you open up your Bibles there? 1 Corinthians 13. You know this passage is, quote-unquote, the love passage. Um, Most wedding ceremonies have it in there. But Jesus wasn't talking to married people. He was talking to the church when he wrote this. And he says, I'm just going to read from verses 4 through 7 for our purposes here today. And he's talking to the church. Remember this? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. It's not arrogant. Love does not act unbecoming. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. And right here, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. When we're told that that we are known by our love, and when, when Paul instructs us time and again about loving each other, when Jesus talked to us about loving each other, when John in First John says that we're supposed to love each other, here is a great short summary of it. And in this, the part that I want to say is it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things and it believes all things and it hopes all things and it endures all things. Love is patient, it's kind. There's something about that that is not passive at all, is it? There's something about that is that is more active, and it is positive, and it is moving forward. Galatians 6.1, if you want to track with me, Galatians 6.1, or if you just want to write down the passage. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then it says this, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. 
See, in this passage, I especially like it because here in this passage, it says if you find somebody who's struggling with a sin in your church, it's not all about them. You need to pay attention to yourself. Matter of fact, James even goes further and he says, confess your trespasses, your trespasses to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so in James 5, 19 through 20, he says, Brethren, if, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him show that he has turned, return, he, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error in his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Second Thessalonians 5. Now we exhort you, brethren, 14, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Be patient with all. And then the capper, 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. We have made it an effort when we communicate about who we are here. You know, every morning when I walk up, somehow or another in the beginning, somewhere along the way, I started saying, good morning, church. You know, I liked it. It stuck. So that's what I do in my emails to you. Morning, church. Hey, church. But you notice that we don't have corporate prayer. We have family prayer. You notice that when we have someone who's sick, that we pray for each other as a family. Now, this is a mighty large family, and so it's kind of hard to do everything just like we would with four or five or six of us. But we do what we can to communicate that when we come here, we're coming here together as a family. And so it's having that fervent love for each other as a family that covers that multitude of sins. It's having that kind of fervent love for each other that says that I have to step out of my comfort zone and I have to step into this really awkward zone. Relationships are full. I mean, you just cannot have a relationship without having awkward. It's kind of like you get both. It's twofers, you know what I mean? You get a relationship, you get awkward. The other part of it is, unfortunately, you get a relationship, you get awkward, and you're eventually going to get hurt too. It's just the way it is. But in the context of the local church, we cannot be healthy with each other. We cannot be healthy even with the Lord if we are not willing to step out of what's comfortable for me and into what is awkward with others. And you know, I know something. It's when you are willing to step into the awkward, that is when you're willing, that is when you are speaking love most loudly. 
Do you get that? Let's, let's do it like this. Let's just say that you, one of your children have decided to play out there in the bypass. And not one of our teenagers because we expect that, but one of our little children. <laughs> one of our little children who is still learning right from wrong. One of our little children runs out there into the bypass to get the ball. Well, it, it's dangerous to think, I'm going to run out there after them. It's awkward. You, go, you get where I'm going with this? It's awkward to run out into the bypass after them. But because I love my child, I will go in the bypass after them. When I say I love you, and if I'm not willing to go into awkward, if I'm not willing to go out into the bypass for our relationship, then I'm not loving you very well. I haven't loved some of you very well. And so that's what love looks like. That's what we should be looking like. Is that we step into awkward, not because we like it, but because I love you, it compels me to do that. It makes me go there. Because anything less than that is unloving. Anything less than that is unloving. And then finally... Um, the greatest statement that the church, together us, can make to a world that jeers us and that mocks us and that has taken all of our, our sin and said it, that, that, let it says that defines you. So, for instance, the world just says, well, the church is all about money. The church is all about rules, do, don't, so on and so forth. The way that we work through that is that we love each other well. Because some of that stuff is true about us. But when we love each other well, we love each other in a way that the world doesn't see a whole lot of. And I'll go back and say it again. And when we resolve our conflicts with each other, the world doesn't do that very much. We know that in our own families. Think about the people you haven't spoken to or won't speak to you months or years. But when we as the local church can resolve conflict in a way that honors God, all of a sudden there's something different about us. When we as the local church can love each other well and through awkwardness and go out into the bypass and bring each other in, we are loving each other well. And we are doing what we're instructed to do. And that is in that thing I talked about last week. That is that stage where God steps into it and says, I can demonstrate my character and my glory in this space because these people go to awkward, because these people go onto the bypass. And in that scenario and in that kind of behavior, I can demonstrate myself glorious. I can demonstrate my character, my love, I can do all that for a church that does that, for a church that gets itself involved in awkward, for people who get themselves involved in awkward. There are just too many stories of people who said, you know, I walked away from God and no one came after me. I didn't feel very loved. But you want to know something? No one can say they didn't feel loved if someone came after them and said, I'm concerned about you. Because you're loving them. 
It doesn't mean they have to respond. Doesn't mean have to mean they like it. Doesn't have to mean they have to change their ways. But you loved them, and that's all you're responsible for is loving them. So, church, let's make that our goal. Let's make that what we do as we step into and we see things happening in our personal relationships and our church as a whole, and we're like going, I don't know what to do with this. Step into it awkwardly and just express love if you don't do anything else. Let that be who we are. Let that become what is natural and normal for us as a church. And I'm thanking God for many of you who that is already natural and normal of. Let's pray.